0: As I said earlier, it's uh, an enormous privilege, isn't it, to just stand in the presence of God and worship. <coughs> As uh, Scripture says, Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth and sea, and all that is in them. <coughs> That's who we worship. just want to share a little testimony. Before I came to this church, um, which is about 36 years ago now, um, I always know that because it was the year that Helen was born. Uh, sorry, I gave her rage away there, didn't I? <laughs> I came from a church where we worshipped, but we never raised our hands, we never clapped. It was most disrespectful to do that. And, you know, I went to, um, I went to a worship, well, not a worship meeting, it was just a meeting in, in Norwich with Graham Kendrick. And we said, Jesus, we enthrone you. We proclaim you our king. And for the first time, I raised my hands and there was something of a tremendous release in my spirit as, if, as, the, as I was just able to express my love for Jesus. And now that just seems the most natural thing in the world. that When I, when I just think of him and I worship him, I, I can't raise my hands high enough sometimes. <laughs> and when we clap him, you know, some people would think that was most disrespectful and they're not the sort of thing you do in church. But what's more wonderful than just applauding Amen. Jesus? it's a wonderful privilege to express however we however we want to with reverence our love for the lord anyway that's just an aside i want to um helen's going to come and sing a song for us which uh, is an old song i'll just give you a very brief history i ran over time a bit in the first service so i've got to try and speak a bit quicker or miss some bits out but it's a bit difficult sometimes to know um It was written by Horatius Bonar, who uh, was a Scotsman who uh, had a parish in Kelso on the Scottish borders. And uh, it was a time when, I think it was Charles I and and the government uh, and others were imposing new restrictions and regulations on the church. And they were saying that the only person that could install the clerics and the ministers were the Lairds and the government. And there were ministers, evangelical ministers, and Horatius Bonar was one of them who actually couldn't accept this, um, that, that, that ministers should be installed by unbelieving people, unbelieving governments and so on. And so he and a load of other evangelical ministers actually, they, it was at a meeting in Edinburgh in 1843, actually walked out of that meeting. And so was born the Free Church of Scotland, which was an evangelical um, church uh, proclaiming the gospel and uh, evangelizing and he wrote, uh, up until that time, the Scottish churches were just singing psalms really, but he had a burden on his heart that he should write songs which the young people of that generation uh, could understand and which would portray gospel truth. And so he wrote nearly 600, well, up, up, up to 600 hymns. Nobody knows exactly the number, many of which are in use today. Um, and this is one of those songs. And it really sets the theme. For what I want to speak about today, so here, here comes Helen, and she's going to sing to us um, this what I think is a beautiful song. I sang it when I was a boy, and I've never got tired of it. And it's been on my heart recently, really, just the uh, the whole thing, the theme of which it speaks. So, um, just listen to the words. <clears throat> words that really struck me rested my attention when I first remembered this this him was that word I found that phrase I found in him a resting place and I believe Jesus actually wants to call us to a place of resting in him I found in him a resting place sounds good doesn't it I love those words the first verse is obviously taken from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, which says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. <clears throat> Horatius Bone was a man devoted to the lord jesus and what touched me was one as i read up the history of the song one of the things that he said he requested that no biography should be written about his life because he didn't want anything to detract from the glory which was due only to jesus and when a man says that you know that he's finished with self-aggrandizement pride he just wants the glory for jesus and so I just felt compelled to, to, to bring a message based around that hymn really, but not just the hymn itself because it portrays some of the most beautiful promises of Scripture. And there's no doubt in my mind that one thing the devil wants to do above all else is to undermine and uh, <coughs> shake our position of rest in Jesus. I know that from my own experience and how successful often he is just to undermine that place of rest even I was saying even this morning as I got up and just mulled over what I was going to say, you know, somehow the peace of Jesus seemed to leave me somehow and I, I just had to come back and say, Lord, I'm thirsty. Will you just fill me again? And and in his grace he just comes in as I look to him and meditate upon who he is, then that peace returns and as I focus away from myself and look to him. But Jesus is not talking here, of course, about physical rest. He's not encouraging laziness or just, uh, yeah, that sort of thing. But he's speaking about spiritual rest. You can have the busiest job out there in the world of work and or even at home with um, the children. And you can still have and experience that place of rest in your spirit. <clears throat> if we go back a little way to... Uh, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36. We read these words. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. They had no focus in their minds, in their lives, but the focus was standing there before them, the person of Jesus. And he had compassion on them because he knows what it's like to be harassed. Uh, to, for us to be harassed and helpless without a shepherd. My, um, my father was brought up on a farm, and I've, if I've told you this story before, which I have, but not all of you, so those of you, those of you who uh, have not heard it, um, those of you who have heard it, bear with me, and those of you who haven't, I hope it blesses you. Anyway, my father bought, grew up on a farm, and uh, they caught down in Hampshire, and they kept a lot of sheep, and they had a resident shepherd who would... Um, look after the sheep and he was actually in those days the shepherd was almost the boss of the farm dictating where the crops should be grown and where he wanted his sheep to be but he was tied up this day and there was a load of sheep coming to Farnham station in a in a railway truck and so he sent my grandfather sent my father and his younger brother to control the sheep as best they could until the shepherd could be released to go and lead them back well the sheep arrived on the station and the doors opened and out came the sheep onto the platform. And uh, my father John and his brother Alan tried to control these sheep, but they just started going here, there, and everywhere. And uh, they just couldn't control them at all. They went off the platform and instead of turning right towards the farm, they turned left into Farnham Town and, and up the high street. And they were in and out of everywhere. And uh, they were desperate. But suddenly the shepherd appeared. He been, He had been freed from what he was doing. And uh, he managed to get down to the station. And it was interesting because he just uttered a call which, although he'd never seen the sheep before, that call was obviously something which attracted their attention. And they looked up and actually as he walked, they followed him all the way down the, the lane to the farm. And there's a, lo- a lovely illustration there because Jesus said, the sheep listened to my voice or his voice, meaning himself, He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. What a beautiful picture. I am the good shepherd, Jesus said, didn't he? But he leads them and he calls them by name. As a little aside, I mentioned in the first service, that shepherd became quite famous because he was one of the last true shepherds of of the south, south of England. And the BBC got hold of him or heard about him and invited him up to London for an interview for a program on television. And uh, he took with him a basket with two lambs in. And uh, he, he went up and it went quite well, although he was apparently, my cousin was up this week actually, and he, was, he was reminding me of this story. And uh, apparently he was a bit fussy about the photographers and the, and the people touching the lambs. But um, when he got back, at the, the, the farmhand said, you know, how did, how did you get on? He said, yes, it was, it went well, he says, you'd be amazed how many people there were at Waterloo Station waiting to welcome me, he said. <laughs> I think they're perhaps more interested in the lambs, but um, they didn't know what was going on. But Jesus says, it says in John 10 verse 3, he calls his own sheep by name. The shepherd would have known the characteristics and the, the shape of the face, the look of the face, the characteristics of each sheep in his flock. But Jesus even goes further and he says, it says he knows his own sheep and he calls them out by name. The shepherd in those days was a, was one who lived amongst the sheep. The um, he lived, had his own little hut with its stove and his little kitchen and so on in the fields. In fact, my cousin showed me a picture. of it. They've just restored it, about right back from the 1930s, and it looks very smart. But um, uh, he would have his own sh- his, uh, hut, which would be towed. It was on wheels, and it would be towed from field to field by the horse as the sheep moved around the farm. But he lived with the sheep. <coughs> He calls his own sheep by name. And it's interesting that illustration because Jesus is one who loves to dwell amongst the sheep. He loves to dwell among the sheep. He knows each of your name. You may feel this morning that you're just one of a crowd, but in actual fact, Jesus knows your name and he calls you by name. You are his. If you haven't read Psalm 139 lately, or maybe you've never read it, read it again. Some of the words in that psalm that David writes, who was very conversant, of course, with sheep and shepherding. But he says this, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me have been written in your book before one of them came to be. It's wonderful truth that all the days of our lives ordained for us have been written in his book. I don't believe God has a physical book but it's an illustration it's a metaphor isn't it for the For the intimate knowledge that God has of each one of us and I know, as I said in the first service, I don't want to keep saying that, but it, when when you preach twice, you have, you sort of feel this compunction to to sort of see well, I said this before because a lot of you haven't heard it, so but no, when Janet was facing a health scare some years ago, that she kept quoting that verse all the days of my life are ordained ordained for me are written in his book so your life will never be shorter or longer than god ordains because your days are written in his book so wherever you are jesus would call you today to his resting place his resting place knowing who he is and all that he's done and all that he wants to be for you today Maybe you're here this morning and I want to say thank you for coming because it's great encouragement to see so many folks here this morning and it's so good for the church to gather. But I know that those who can't be here and uh, if you're watching online or if you're here this morning, you're feeling maybe like one of those crowds that are harassed and helpless without a shepherd. Maybe you're facing big problems and I know some of in the fellowship are facing big issues, but I believe in even in those circumstances God, there's a place of rest in the, in the presence and in the heart of Jesus. His heart is one of compassion. As he sees people who are helpless and harassed, his heart is compassion towards them every time. I found that in my own experience that that is to be true. But it means you have to do what Peter says in his epistle, cast all your cares upon him for he cares for you we're so good aren't we at bringing our burdens to the lord and then taking them away again but we have to consciously place them onto him in full trust that he knows and he cares and he will see us through those issues and problems cast all your cares peter says upon him for he cares for you maybe you're living in fear of the future as covid infections start to rise again and you know we thought it was all going to be over by august didn't we and and yet, and we've vast majority of the population are being vaccinated, but somehow the the fear is still there because you can still get it after vaccination and and maybe you're- afraid, afraid of that this morning. what does the future hold? Is there going to be more variants that come along <clears throat> perhaps you're concerned about the state of our society when so much of the pillars and structural foundations of our society, are being undermined. People are belittling the value of marriage and family and other foundational structures which have held our society together for for, for generations and centuries, all under attack. We know why, we know that the devil is behind it because he's the destroyer and he wants to destroy everything that is good. I think it was David Paulson once said, Uh, satan never created anything but his aim is to destroy what god has created and so we see that in our society today but jesus would say come unto me and rest because he's king of kings and lord of lords and he reigns in heaven today nothing is outside of his control you may say well how come these things are happening then if he's reigning god has a purpose a purpose for this land of drawing people to himself. The darkness will become darker as men turn away, but also the light will become brighter as people see Jesus to be the light of the world. We need to trust him fully. He is in control. There's no question about it. And that brings rest. That brings rest to our souls when we acknowledge and believe and trust that he is in control of all things. Listen to the prophetic words of Psalm i love this i love this few these few verses why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the lord and against his anointed saying let us break their chains and throw off their shackles don't we see that as a as a such an accurate description of our world today they want nothing to do with god they're trying to throw off Every, every shackle, every restriction as they turn away. And they laugh and say, we, 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 we dismiss God out of our thinking. We want nothing to do. But listen, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king in Zion, my holy mountain. The fact is that God has a plan which will never be thwarted, and he has installed His King in Zion, and Jesus will reign, and Jesus will rule for all eternity, and then there will be peace and justice and righteousness on the earth. It's a tremendous hope that we have, so we shouldn't be really living in fear. Natural fear is something that we we all struggle with, don't we? But actually, Jesus, the number of times that Jesus says in Scripture, "Do not fear, do not be afraid." We have to trust and know that he is in control of all things. Maybe you're struggling to find assurance this morning of your salvation. I know as a teenager, after committing my life to Christ, I I went through periods of of doubt and fear and uncertainty as to whether I was really a believer, whether I was really saved. Maybe you're suffering that today. You're suffering a lack of assurance. You know, you're trying your best. You're doing all the things that you think you should do, but somehow it's not working and you haven't got that assurance and peace within. Jesus would say to you this morning, come to me, to that resting place, because I have done all that's necessary for your salvation today. Stop looking within and trusting yourself and what you can do and how big your faith is and all the rest of it. Stop and look to me. You know, looking within is a very... I know there's a place for it, but looking within is often very discouraging and downcasting, isn't it? (laughs) Because we can always find failure and, and weakness within, and we're always falling short. But praise God, as I quoted, I think, last time I spoke, that wonderful verse from Hebrews, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. As far as God is concerned, I am perfect in his sight because of the perfection and the righteousness of Christ which clothes me. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth, and so it doesn't mean I don't have to do my best to please and to honor God and live my life according to His commands in obedience. But that will never get me there because I shall always fail. But God looks on Him. I just love that hymn when Satan tempts me to despair, and 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 points me to the to the. Um, hang on, let me start again. When when Satan tempts me to despair and shows me of the guilt within. Upwards I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. What a beautiful thought. That's the gospel, isn't it, in the nutshell. And it's a beautiful, beautiful truth. If you believe that Jesus came in the flesh, the Bible says, if you believe that Jesus came in the flesh, died to take your sin, that God raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God, you will be saved. You will be saved. Do you believe that any will of God can be thwarted? Do you believe that any will, any purpose of God can be thwarted by any person or thing? Well, this is what God says. Listen to this verse from John 6, verse 40. Jesus is speaking. He says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son, S-O-N, and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the Father's will for everyone who looks to Jesus. And that will can never be thwarted or or bypassed. That is God's will, that everyone who looks to Jesus will be saved. And Jesus says, I will raise him up. In the last day. So find rest to your soul. Oh, time goes so quickly. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you've never made that step of faith. You can make it today. Because Jesus says those beautiful words. Whoever comes to me. I will in no wise. I will never turn away. At the cross the Father laid on Jesus. The sin of the world. The sin of everyone who puts their trust in him. As Isaiah says in that prophecy in chapter 53, and the Lord has laid on him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. I want to read a few verses from John 7. Verses 1 to 5. Actually, i missed that bit out because time's going so quickly. Um, verses 14 and 15 of John 7. oh yeah it's up there not until halfway through the festival did jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach the jews were there were amazed and asked how did this man get such learning without being taught and as i said before and i said i'd never say it again but i did (laughs) as i said before there's no relevance in one sense of that verse to what i want to say but i just wanted to read it because verses like that are just so beautiful aren't they How did this man get all this learning without ever having studied? That's the person of Jesus, the all-knowing God in flesh. But then we come to verse 37 and we read these words. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water... Will flow from within him, and he was referring there to the Holy Spirit. I don't suppose anybody at that feast had ever heard anybody saying anything like that before. There is a young man, just over thirty years old, proclaiming, "If anybody is thirsty, come to me and drink." <clears throat> it was the same one who, at the well, at the well, that, whom, where he met the Samaritan woman, said, "Whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst." will never thirst. In the natural, of course, water is absolutely essential. We can only last without water for about three days. Jesus, of course, is not talking about literal water, though, here. He's talking about spiritual water. But just as physically we get thirsty, so spiritually we also get thirsty, don't we? But Jesus says, if you drink the water I'm offering, you'll never thirst. You will never thirst. At the feast... Jesus here was calling out to thirsty people. There were people here who were under the thrall of, of the Jewish leaders and they were trying to fulfill all the rules and regulations which were largely man-made. In fact, Jesus got angry with the Pharisees and he said, you make up all these rules and impose them on the people but you don't do a, lift a finger to help them, to fulfill them. Jesus was angry with them. But the people were thirsty. And into that situation, Jesus cries out, whoever is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. I wonder if that's you this morning. You know, I have many times in my life, I've been thirsty. I've been thirsty. But by the grace of God, I know where to go. Now, if I'm thirsty, I come to Jesus and drink of that life-giving water. But you might say to me, well, how? How do I drink? It's very well very well to say just come to Jesus and drink but how how do I drink well I think I took these one or two points from the invitation that Jesus gave he says come to me come to me you know you can struggle on your own and you can try overcome your thirst by whatever way but actually the invitation is so simple come I think it was John Phillips who said the gospel can be Summed up in one word, come. And so as you come to Jesus, you accept his invitation. You acknowledge your need, Lord, I'm thirsty. By even coming and accepting the invitation, you're acknowledging your need of thirst, your need of water. And thirdly, is that second verse of the song that Helen sang, says, Stoop down and drink and live stoop down we come in absolute humility knowing that of ourselves we have nothing that can satisfy that longing but in him is the satisfy the satisfaction that we crave stoop down and drink and live i did that at a very thirsty time in my life many years ago my late 20s i was desperately thirsty i just felt empty and dry But, you know, God revealed to me at that time, and I'm sure I've shared this before, that as I came in humility and just cried out in my need, Jesus met me. And I had a tremendous turnaround where I saw that Jesus was the source of everything I needed. And I've never forgotten that truth. Now I live in him, in Christ. Everything I need is in him. David says in the Psalms, he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help and saves them. Just one thing. To stay healthy, you need water every day. It's not just a Sunday thing, is it? But every day we need that water of life. And that water, that stream, that river, water from Christ is available every day. Every minute of every day. <clears throat> so I start my day by, in the, in, by dwelling in that resting place and just drinking, drinking from Jesus who supplies that need that I always need. Thanking him and worshipping him for all he's done, for all that he is, for who he is, for his many, many blessings upon my life. David says in the Psalms, I know the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me that's the new living translation version but what a truth that is i know that the lord is always with me i will not be shaken for he is right beside me that's where the drinking is and as you come the holy spirit will reveal more of the beauty and the wonders of christ to you he loves to do that the holy spirit loves to reveal jesus that's what jesus said when he comes the spirit comes he will take the things of me and make them known unto you And he loves to do that. And then finally in John chapter 8 verse 12. Jesus says I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me will never walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. The literal meaning of darkness is the absence of light. The absence of light. Where there is no light there is only darkness. And where there is no darkness it's because there's a light. A light shining complicated science lesson there <laughs> and so in a spiritual sense if jesus is the light of the world everything outside of him is darkness he says i am the light of the world there was never a light of the world that came before jesus and there's never been another light of the world since so everything outside of him his truth is actually darkness and as rachel read in that passage at the beginning and it says that uh, where have I got it written here somewhere? Through him all things remain, John 1. Through him all things remain. In him was life and that light, life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness. In my humble opinion, without Jesus, without God, everything loses its meaning. What is the meaning? Without God, what is the meaning? Why am I here? Where am I going? There's just nothing, is there? I may as well not have started. I may as well not have been born if there's nothing beyond it because life is full of trials and temptations and problems but praise god there is something beyond <laughs> i was just recommending in the first service if you've never read a, a book by c.s lewis called mere christianity probably many of you have but i always remember thoroughly enjoying that book as he puts forward the um, simple truths of christianity in such a powerful way well worth reading it's a it's a wonderful book John says in his first letter God is light and in him is no darkness at all we live in a nation you know where darkness is all around as God as man turns away from God and the Paul's description of in Romans 1 is such an apt description of our world today he says he says they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God what, how, 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 how that perfectly describes our nation. It's not worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. But where that happens and man turns away, and God, God, he will not acknowledge God in any way, then darkness and confusion start pouring in. And we live in that darkness today, apart from Jesus. Darkness reigns and confusion reigns as we abandon principles for life laid down by God I was just hearing yesterday of a young girl who came home from school in tears saying mummy am I not just a girl what sort of confusion are we sowing into the lives of our young people in this generation it's it's the work of the enemy it's darkness but as we look to Jesus we find the light of life we are sowing confusion into their minds and those responsible, I believe, will pay a very heavy price because Jesus speaks of <coughs> uh, with harsh words of those who actually lead children astray. He says it'd be better if they had a millstone hung round their neck and cast into the sea. Because Jesus has a very special heart, place in his heart for the children, and he says anybody who leads them astray and causes them to sin, he says, judgment is reserved for them extreme and harsh judgment Jesus the author of life as the Bible calls him the creator of all things he's the light of the world he says whoever follows me will not walk in will never walk in darkness but have the light of life as we follow Jesus he lights the way his truth is there and as we follow his truth and obedience and hold fast to his word we shall walk in the light as he is in the light When Jesus died, darkness covered the earth, didn't it, for three hours. And I've heard it said that it, it was because God could not look upon Jesus as he bore the sins of the world. But, and that may be so, I don't, I don't know. I don't suppose anybody really knows. But as I was meditating on this, it just struck me that as Jesus died, the world was extinguishing the light of the world. And I wonder if that, at that point in time it was symbolic that darkness fell upon the earth as the light of the world was put to death upon the cross but thanks be to god that having paid that penalty of sin death could not hold him and he rose up he rose up from the day from the dead and he says as he says to john in revelation that first chapter of revelation he says behold i was dead but i'm now alive forever and ever and so the last verse of that hymn that Helen sang, I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Come to me, your morn shall rise and all your day be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found in him my star, my sun. And in the light, that light of life, I'll walk till travelling days are done. And that's my hope, and that can be each one of our hope, that as we travel through until that day when either Jesus comes or we face him, we go through death, we can walk in the light, as he is in the light. He's the light of the world, and his truth will reign forever and ever, and he will reign, and we will be with him forever. So it's a wonderful, wonderful hope, but it's only found in one person. It's not found in a religion, it's not found in a set of rules and regulations, it's just found in one person, and that person is Christ the saviour of the world, the light of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we just would bow and worship to you because you, God has provided in you all that we need for our salvation, for our hope, for our security. Lord, every blessing is found in you. And Lord, as we thirst, we come to you and drink. And Lord, we, we find satisfaction. Our thirst is quenched. Our soul's revived. And now we live in you. Lord, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord. I want to thank you for the, those hymn writers of the past who wrote these beautiful words. Lord, based on the truth that has endured for centuries and generations ever since you were here. And and endures today that same truth, that same person. Because you are an unchanging person, an unchanging God. And your truth remains forever. We bless and thank you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.